Welcome to the Aging Project podcast. Thank you for being here. I'm your host, Shelley Craft. As I've got older, I've come to realise we all need advice when it comes to aging well. So for season one of the show, I've pulled together the best possible support team for us. Doctors, researchers, coaches and creatives. Nothing is off limits. Food and nutrition, movement and mobility, menopause and gut health. Finding a sense of meaning. I want to cover it all. I believe with the Aging Project community banded together, our choices will be infinitely better, more informed, more considered. So if like me, you believe aging well starts now, then let's get going and start learning from some of the best. Welcome to today's episode. And I love what the Aging Project is doing because, you know, I think ultimately one of the biggest learnings out of this whole experience for me is that aging is actually a gift, you know, to be able to get more time here. You know, every birthday as it comes around, even if you're not a big birthday person that doesn't like a big celebration, to say, I got another year on this amazing planet. I mean, what a gift is that? And not everyone is afforded that. Welcome to episode 10 of the Aging Project podcast. That was Bryony Benjamin, this week's guest. Like millions of others, I discovered Bryony a few years ago when she created a viral and heartwarming video called You've Only Got One Life, which documented her cancer journey. This amazing woman has gone on to write a book called Life is Tough, But So Are You. And we wanted to share Bryony's story with you for two reasons. One, to remind us all that life is short and we only get one shot at it, but it seems it's something that we do forget more often than not. And two, Bryony's book highlights, yes, life can be tough, really tough, and so many of us have experienced that roller coaster in the last few years. So we hope today's conversation provides some practical strategies for dealing with these tough times. I know you'll enjoy today's conversation, so let's jump in. Let's go back to the start. You were early 30s. You just landed an awesome job at Mamma Mia as the video content creator doing the the thing that you love the most. It would seem like at that point in your life that things couldn't get any better and yet you knew you didn't feel right. You knew you just felt crappy but was that part of getting old or (laughs) was that something a little bit deeper? It obviously didn't concern you too early on, but then when it dragged on, not just for a week or a month, but you were feeling pretty bad for a year. Yeah, I was. You know, I I kept going back to the doctor over and over, you know, in this 12-month period, and we couldn't ever find anything. There was nothing showing up in blood tests or urine tests. or So we just kept, you know, being a bit stumped by it. And I think the other thing is I looked so well, and I say to women now, don't wear makeup to the doctors when you go because, you know, it really, it gives this illusion of health and well-being. you know. I had a girlfriend the other day, she had a spray tan, went into the doctor and the doctor said, what's someone that looks so well doing in my office? And when she got her bloods back, she found out she was actually severely anemic. So I say to women now, you know, let your pale, exhausted face, beautiful face, do the talking for you. So, you know, I I just kept getting these dead ends and I did. I just got to this point where I thought maybe I'm just not very good at my job, you know, maybe I'm just a bit crap at life and and I don't have what it takes. The first thing a doctor is going to say is, well, you know, let's check in on your diet or are you getting enough sleep? Are you doing enough exercise? So you went through that whole process as well. I did. And for me, I think, you know, my symptoms were I had itchy skin, 
I had this cough that would just never go away. So we thought it was some kind of chest infection. Uh, and then I was having these night sweats on and off. And then leading up to my diagnosis, they got worse and worse and worse. So I was waking up in the night, dripping, having to change my pajamas. I'd wake up in the morning, my sheets were damp. I'd have to air out my whole bed. And, you know, I think when you've been experiencing bad symptoms for a really long time, it all starts to just blur into one and you sort of forget Mm -hmm. how long, you know, you've been feeling this way. And I remember my partner at the time saying to me, we'd been dating for a year at that point, and he said, do you realise you've been sick the whole time we've been dating? And that was a shock. That was a real Mm -hmm. shock to me. So I think, you know, for anyone listening, if you are experiencing really strange symptoms over a long period of time, I really encourage everyone to now just be the best note taker in the world. Maybe get a note out on your phone. The other thing you can do that I started to do was actually started videoing myself. So I started doing little video logs because you wake up at 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. The next morning, you can't really remember what happened. You know what it's like. So I would start filming how I was feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think take that in and show your doctor because you might look fine when you're going. But if you can show them a video of your symptoms at the time and how you're feeling. I think, you know, Mm -hmm. they say a picture paints a thousand words and a video (laughs) paints millions. I think it really shows them what you're dealing with. So, yeah. Working in an office full of women like Mamma Mia, perhaps the people in the office didn't really notice because you would have been putting on a good show. But was there any particular person in there beside obviously your boyfriend at home that was like, love this has been dragging on a bit long or you don't seem yourself because seeing you sitting here right now I can imagine that you always were a a very bubbly vivacious person and when you are feeling bad obviously that's the first thing the front that you try to put on. Yeah I mean I think I'd become such an expert at compartmentalizing the pain that it was such a shock to people when I got diagnosed because I was literally the person bouncing in the office every morning you know really digging deep into those energy reserves like I was that annoying person in the morning meeting who'd be like let's play a song before we start and we're gonna have a little dance before we pitch <laughs> our ideas for the day and I think I was almost faking it even harder you know to, to push myself mm-hmm. through it because I wanted to prove to myself that I could do this job and I think I was clutching on holding holding hard and you know really it was my mum and dad that because I was I chat with my mum every day you know as many of us do And she was just so alarmed by the night sweats and the fact that Mm -hmm. I was just saying, I just feel bad all the time, you know, and, and that she'd really noticed that change, I think in my mood. And Mm -hmm. what I, what I've since learned is that women are far more likely to have their cancer diagnosis actually ascribed to mental health symptoms. So to be told it's depression or anxiety or, you know, and so I had definitely the doctor saying to me, you know, do you think you're depressed? And I'm thinking, well, I don't think so. I don't feel like I am depressed, but maybe I am because am I'm I depressed. I'm, is that yeah, what this is? Like, how, like, how do I'm, I not know if I'm depressed? I know. Like I'm not looking forward to anything, you know, but being, that's because I, I didn't have the energy to do it. You start to feel like, and, and I remember being invited to a girlfriend's wedding, a beautiful girlfriend of mine. And your immediate reaction to that should be like, oh, I can't wait. And I remember thinking, oh no, you know, because I just knew how much energy it was going to take. Um, so that I think, you know, that's a really good indicator that something is wrong and, and going mm-hmm. on with you if, if you're starting to not look forward to things. I mean, the other big thing for me was that I'm a big goal setter every year. I'll, I'll sit down and plan out my goals. 
And in the two years leading up to my diagnosis, I was quite stumped by the fact that I could never work out what my goals were. And I think mm-hmm. that was once again, my body just saying, we, look, babe, we're just trying to get through this right here. Like, yeah. can we just be well? And like, all I could think of was like, I want to rest and sleep and nourish my body. Um, but that I so think did like you getting- find that perhaps the, the diagnosis itself was uh, as weird as this sounds, was it almost a relief to know that it wasn't all in your mind, that there was actually something really wrong? Totally. It totally was. I mean, of course, you never want to hear the words cancer and chemotherapy from a doctor speaking to you. Mm. But in some strange way, like you said, it was kind of like, oh, I'm not just crap at everything. Like there's a reason why this last year has felt so hard, you know? Yeah. sounded like your oncologist was an amazing person that said, yes, we've got this enormous journey in front of us to get you well again and that is going to happen but let's not look at that let's just look at the small steps that we can take starting right now uh, to get us to that point I guess it was not about overwhelming you with all the facts and the figures and what was going to happen but just what you could do each day to get you through Just a quick break in today's episode to mention the Ageing Project 12-week challenge prize that is worth over $4,000. We want to spoil someone from our community whose life and ageing journey has been positively impacted by our podcast and the 12-week challenge because that's why we started this whole thing in the first place, to improve the lives of women. So one lucky person will win all four prizes, which is a three-day mana yoga retreat at Soma in Byron Bay, a Vitamix blender, a Lorna Jane voucher, and if you feel comfortable telling your story, we would love to welcome you as our podcast guest for season two. But that is optional, although I would love you to sit and chat with me. To get involved, just subscribe by visiting theagingproject.com.au and don't forget to visit our socials for updates. We would love you to join our growing community. Exactly. Look, it was, you know, when she broke the news that I had uh, cancer diagnosis, by that point it was stage four, which meant it had actually spread out of my lymph glands and into my bones and was all through my body, which she didn't tell me at the time, which was good. I think she just withheld that information, (laughs) just, you know, gently, gently. And she said, we're not going to, I don't want you Googling anything. I don't want you worrying about treatment or what's next. Right now, we're just going to focus on the next three steps, you know, which is the blood test, a heart and lung test, and an appointment with the IVF clinic. And I think I just held on to that approach the whole way through because, you know, it's so easy to just run away (laughs) um, down all these rabbit warrens of what if and what's going to happen. And, you know, it's hugely overwhelming. And it was just the best advice. And it's advice I come back to all the time now if I'm feeling a bit stressed. We don't need to solve everything today. We're just going to focus on the next few steps. That's, and you've put this into an amazing book called Life's Tough But So Are You, which is, I guess, practical tips for just getting through the tough times and just taking it step by step. So this is something that we can use whether you're um, recovering from something or a condition yourself, whether you've got severe grief, whether there's just been a huge upheaval and life change. Don't look at the overall, just try and take those little steps every day. Exactly. You know, just letting yourself off the hook and expecting less of yourself when you're in recovery, be that physical or emotional. You know, I know when I was coming out of the, you know, 
out of chemotherapy and trying to heal, I just had two little questions that I wrote and had up on my board. And it just was, what are you doing to strengthen your body today? What are you doing to calm your mind today? And that, that was all I had to think about that day and everything else could wait for another day. And that was really helpful. So what life changes have you made since you've been in remission? Obviously, we talked a little bit about more cleaner living uh, before you knew how ill you were. But now, what, what's your daily uh, routine look like? Yeah, well, I, um, you know, I'm dealing with chronic fatigue post chemo. It's very common in cancer patients. And so that has been a whole another thing to just accept and get my head around and accept that my life just has to move at a different pace for now. And I need to break the day up more and have rests in between. And uh, I've been going to the uh, a chronic fatigue centre actually to get some advice and help on this. And I was pretty shocked recently, Shelley, to learn that I don't actually rest ever and I didn't actually know what rest was because what I thought was rest is actually not rest. So I basically drew out a schedule of my week and took it to Mm -hmm. them and I said, look, I'm resting there and there and there and there. You know, I'm listening to a podcast. There (laughs) I'm sitting down reading a book. Um, You know, I watched a bit of TV and they said, yeah, so none of those things count as rest because whilst you might find them relaxing, they're all, they all require a really high cognitive load on your brain and your mind mm-hmm. and your body. So they said, really, the only thing that counts as resting is to grab a cup of tea and sit and stare out the window, you know, or maybe sit in your garden and just be and be off devices and just sit. And, you know, since I've shared that with my friends and and people I work with, they all go, oh, my gosh, I don't think I've rested since I was a child. That's um, right. How do you do that? Yeah. And it's, it's not easy. Like, I have to be honest, I really struggle with it. Um, so I'm at the moment just trying to find those little pockets in my day where I just have, even if it's carving out five minutes just to sit and rest and be, um, for some people that could look like meditation, which I think is just a super amazing uh, tool to use. But if meditation becomes another thing on your to-do list that you have to do, then that can almost be, once again, not a restful thing because you're trying to tick off the resting part, you know. So And you want to be just, good at it. I want to be good yes. at doing nothing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I want an A plus in this. <laughs> yeah, so. That's right. And so what else do you now, are you obviously eating clean? Um, has that become a big part of your it, daily yeah, routine or your it, life? It has actually. I've really moved to a predominantly plant-based diet uh, off the back of a whole lot of things I've read. Um, Simon Hill's fantastic book, The Proof is in the Plants. Uh, Michael Grieger's fabulous book, How Not to Die, (laughs) aptly named. Um, I just thought, you know, it doesn't suit everyone, but I have tried to move to a mainly plant-based approach. My body has responded really well to that. And I must say, cutting out dairy has been really good for my skin. <laughs> so nice you little side. You fabulous, darling. Oh, thanks. Yes. Thanks, darling. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think also just uh, a book that changed my life after chemotherapy was Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, mm-hmm. who's a neuroscientist, and comprehending that really if you're getting under seven hours of sleep a night, you triple your risk of cancer you know, and you set yourself up on a pathway to a whole host of other nasty things. So that was a major wake up call for me because I think I'm not saying it caused my lymphoma. We don't know what causes lymphoma, but I certainly never gave my body a chance to catch up, you know, Mm -hmm. and we know that melatonin that is released when we sleep actually fights cancer, you know, it fights those carcinogenic cells. So yeah, look, sleep is another big one. It's become 
a huge priority for me to get to bed early and to make mm-hmm. sure no matter what I get that those eight hours of sleep. Uh, and that- so just do nothing for a little bit longer in the horizontal exactly. position. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. So that was that was a book that I just loved. So yeah, more sleep, more rest, really being conscious about what I eat. And, uh, you know, particularly at the moment, something that my partner and I do is before every meal that we eat, we actually just stop, close our eyes, you know, hold hands. It sounds a bit kumbaya or whatever, but to actually just have that moment to stop before you just mindlessly eat and consume your meal, to feel gratitude for it, that you're Mm -hmm. safe, that you're in a home, that you've got this beautiful food in front of you. And I think it just makes you much more mindful than when you do eat as well. And then I think, oh, you know, I obviously read a whole book because there were so many learnings out of the experience, Shelley, but a big one was just really finding those little moments of joy in every day, you know, even just sitting here with you on this call and seeing your beautiful face and having this this time with you, just really enjoying this moment rather than you know racing off to the next thing and worrying about that and um so I do when I when I lie in bed at night basically every night now I'll sit and just reflect on the lovely moments from the day and just take that time even if it's just a couple of minutes and what I find it does is it relaxes my body and I fall asleep feeling really grateful and peaceful and yeah it's just been a I mean I suppose back in the day uh, or people with a really strong religious belief would call it praying and uh, Mm -hmm. you know that time but I just find carving out that time has become an important ritual in my day. We've been learning here that journaling is a huge part of as you say just stopping and taking that moment and you took journaling to a whole new level by writing an entire book but did it start (laughs) just with those little scribblings of a night time or those thoughts that were coming in or did you sit down and say right if I had had this book when I was going through uh, the process, this would have made a difference to me or did it just sort of evolve? Totally. Well, during chemotherapy, I actually got sent a book from a friend called The Artist's Way. I don't know if you've done it before. It's basically a 12-week program on reconnecting with your creative self. So, And it was this nice synergy that I had 12 weeks of chemotherapy. And as part of that, you do what's called the morning pages. So it's first thing up in the morning, And when you're doing chemotherapy, you're wide awake at 4 a.m. because you're on steroids. I would sit down and I would just do a brain dump of three pages of writing. And there's no right or wrong way to do it. You just, whatever's in your mind, you write it down. And I think that process of doing that, it reconnected me with how much I loved writing. Mm -hmm. And it was an incredibly therapeutic thing to do during that tough time. And we know that actually the research suggests that journaling is hugely therapeutic during challenging times. People, their immune um, system gets a huge boost when they're journaling during during tricky times. Um, even their wounds can heal faster <laughs> because it's such a powerful um, de-stressor really. It takes all this cloud of thoughts out of your head and just puts them somewhere where your body can make sense of it. And so when the video that I made, You Only Get One Life, went out into the world and went viral, uh, one of the people that saw it was a publisher, Kelly, um, from Murdoch Books, and she reached out and said, I'd love to talk to you about turning this into a helpful guidebook for anyone who's going through any kind of tough time. And because I'd had all those months and months of journaling, I I felt confident that I could do it. You know, I I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I can do that. I'm a writer. Whereas I think before (laughs) I I wouldn't have had the confidence to, to say that. And so I really just wanted to sit down 
and share everything I'd learned along the way and exactly as you said, create the book I wish I'd had at the beginning, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I got given lots of books at the start of my curveball, but they felt scary and they were black and white and they were dense and they were, you know, I couldn't engage with them. And so I really wanted to create something that felt light and inviting and was not going to scare you away. It was just going to be like, hey, I'm a friend who's been there, done this. This is really sucky, but I'm going to step <laughs> you through it, you know, and you're going to be okay. I love the fact that you also say in the book that it's not just for people going through it, but it's a great manual for friends to have a read of it and to know how to communicate and perhaps use a language that's a little bit gentler or we're always lost for what to say to someone who's going through grief or a really hard time and you you almost avoid the conversation because you don't want to say the wrong thing. But this is also a wonderful um lighthearted way, I guess, of looking at it and using that language that you can approach people who are having a really crappy, crappy day. Totally. Yeah. So I I share a bunch of phrases that you should just steer clear of. (laughs) You know, there's some classics like, well, just be positive or, you know, they only send it to the strong ones or, you know, it all happens for a reason. Whilst we say those with the best of intentions, Mm -hmm. you know, and I know I've been guilty of them in the past. We, We all probably are. They're just supremely unhelpful when you're in a really dark place or in, in one of those hugely catastrophic life events. To tell someone, oh, it, uh, it's just happened for a reason, can feel so dismissive. Um, and I say to everyone, so be careful of those phrases, but do mm-hmm. say something, you know, because if you don't, like you said, acknowledge it at all because you're worried about upsetting them, uh, a lot of people report actually that they feel almost more grief from the fact that it hasn't been acknowledged at all. And so it can be just as simple as saying, I'm so sorry you have to go through this. Um, buy you, you know, I'll be beside you every step of the way and just sending you all the love and cheering for you. you know, you'd, and I say as well, don't ask people questions. Don't, don't ask too many things that they then have to respond to because mm-hmm. early on in a crisis there's a lot of life admin going on between all the various channels and people wanting to know. So send love or you can ask them a question but saying no need to respond. Um, just wanted you to know that I'm thinking of you. And for me, you know, I think sometimes people worry that, well, I don't know the person well enough, or they might be annoyed if I suddenly reach out. I haven't spoken to them in a few years. Mm -hmm. But I know for me, it was the kindness that came from just random little pockets and places that was even almost more impactful. You know, Uh, a girlfriend of mine, Natasha, she had a friend who I'd never even met. And so thoughtful, she sent me a book and a card and just said, I just wanted you to know that people that don't even know you are cheering you on, sending you love, and we can't wait to see you on the other side of this, you know? Oh, what a wonderful woman. So thoughtful. And, and mm-hmm. those little, you know, all those kind little acts, they just so add up and just really help lift you through those experiences. Who do you think you would be today without going through what you've been through? Because as I say, when I look at you, and having worked or seen your work on Mamma Mia previously, you just have this effervescence, this this love of life. But I guess now is it just that little bit deeper and a little bit more love for life than you had before? Oh, I think so. I've, I've always loved that phrase, but I didn't know it would become relevant to me. But it said, you know, storms make trees take deeper roots. It's, it's often ascribed to a do- Dolly Parton who's just fabulous. And uh, I think it is true, you know, when the storm comes in, you know, my life had been pretty fabulous until then, pretty smooth sailing. And whilst, you know, if you could undo the health impacts um, on mm-hmm. your body, I, 
so much good has come out of this experience for me and I feel so much more empowered in many ways because you think when something knocks you off kilter or you're feeling a bit shy or a bit less than you think hey this is nothing in the scheme of things you know (laughs) and so just that reminder to myself constantly that huge dose of perspective to put your shoulders back put your head up high and just care less about what people think because you know what does it matter (laughs) what does it matter at the end of the day Bryony, I think you were always going to impact lives. I think you always had a magical way of touching people and whether it was just making them smile, that is an enormous change in a lot of people's day. But I do believe now there is this higher calling um, and what you've been through is going to make enormous positive changes and impact on a lot of people out there, whether it's just hearing your story and seeing uh, how well you are now and the love of life that you have, but of course that depth that you can now share with all of us for us to make without having to go through a huge crisis or perhaps if we have and we're coming out of that, just how to make those small steps to get back to a bigger and better life. So again, congratulations on beating that bitch of a thing that cancer is. Um, I am just, as I said, sitting here now listening to you, knowing that um, my life is all the better for having had this chat. So thank you very, very much. And from everyone at The Aging Project, we wish you all the best for a big, bright and very long future. Oh, thank you, Shelley. What a gorgeous thing to hear and so wonderful to have this time with you today. And I love what the Aging Project is doing because, you know, I think ultimately one of the biggest learnings out of this whole experience for me is that aging is actually a gift, you know, to be able to get more time here. You know, every birthday as it comes around, even if you're not a big birthday person that doesn't like a big celebration to say, I got another year on this amazing planet. I mean, what a gift is that? And not everyone is afforded that. So I just, I love what you guys are doing with this project. And I think it's going to impact so many lives. And yeah, it's been beautiful to be a small part of it today. A huge part. Thank you so much. And yes, I hated birthdays and now I'm like, baby, bring it on. (laughs) So many practical tips. I love the two questions Bryony asks herself each day. One, what are you doing to strengthen your body today? And two, what are you doing to calm your mind today? I also love Bryony's point about rest. When it comes to rest, I've learned watching Netflix or scrolling Instagram does not count. (laughs) Rest means having a cuppa, stopping completely, perhaps getting into your meditation routine. I think we all need to be reminded to look for moments of joy in our busy days. And from now on, I definitely will not be wearing makeup to the doctors. Remember to get a second opinion and listen to your intuition when it comes to your health. And more practically, take notes and videos of anything concerning to share with your doctor. Lastly, please remember that ageing is a gift. So let's celebrate each birthday, no matter what the number. And we would love you to share those celebrations that you're having with us on our socials. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm your host, Shelley Craft, and this is The Ageing Project. The Aging Project is brought to you by Poly Studio. They're our go-to team for all things podcasting.